We're going to be diving right in. We're going to be in Psalm 112. So if you have your Bible, you can open that up and turn that there. If you don't have one, if you look in front of you in the pews, those Bibles are for you. So if you want to take that home, that's our gift to you. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. So we've been in this summer in the Psalm series. And this specific Psalm that we're going to be in today is actually a piece of wisdom literature. And so Psalm 112, we're not totally sure who wrote it. The author's anonymous. But we've been saying, and we're going to continue to say, that these are God's word to man, but also man's word to God. So the Psalms show us not only how to praise God, but he's speaking directly to us. It reminds us that God is relational, and he wants to have a relationship with us personally. Psalm 112 is connected to Psalm 111. These are both acrostic poems. You'll notice it's actually acrostic in the Hebrew, not in our alphabet today. So it's not totally exactly like the A, B, C, D, E, F, G that you would expect. But what's cool, Charles Spurgeon mentions it like this. Psalm 111 declares the glory of God as if we were looking at the sun. And Psalm 112 shows the reflection of God's glory in man like the moon. And so that's how we can kind of picture this. So if you have time later, make sure you go read Psalm 111. It really points exactly to what we're going to be talking about today. So Psalm 111 actually ends with this verse here that I wanted to start with. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that sets up where we're going to be. We're going to be talking a lot about the fear of the Lord, and we're going to be talking about wisdom as well. So hopefully you're there. We're going, to, we're going to read through this, and then we're going to break it out into three different pieces. So here we go. It says this, Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delights, delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. We're going to look at this piece by piece, but the big idea for today is this. The more reverence we have for God, the more we find life. So the more reverence we have for God, the more we find life. And we're going to break that down. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through this psalm today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we get to worship you today, Lord. We're so excited to look at your word. And God, I just pray that we would just settle our hearts this morning and that we would just be open to whatever you have for us, God. I pray that we would be a people that are just ready to hear from you and ready to do whatever you ask, God. I pray for any of us who maybe haven't made the decision to follow you yet, Lord. I pray that this would speak to them as well. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to open our eyes and open our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're actually going to start in verse 1 and just look at this. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. So this actually mirrors the very first two verses in the first psalm that Brian preached on a few weeks back. It's an exact mirror. So this is more in the positive language here. Blessed who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. And you'll notice it starts with the phrase, praise the Lord. 
Because this is a reflection of man and, and the goodness of God. But we got to remember, it's all centered on God's goodness. That's why it starts by saying, praise the Lord. And really, we need to answer the big question here. What exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? Maybe you have some idea of that. Maybe you've heard that before. I know I've heard of the phrase, putting the fear of God into somebody, when you want to get, set them straight. I've heard that before. Let's talk about what the fear of the Lord actually means. So really where the, the fear of the Lord starts is with the unbeliever. And when we get this first picture of what it looks like to fear God, it's this, we see we fear God as a righteous judge. And it's just, it's understanding the gospel. So the gospel is this. Adam and Eve were first, the first humans ever created, and they sinned against God. And because of their sin, we are now all born into sin. And because of that, our connection with God was lost. But see, God loved us enough to... to get that connection back. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we could not have lived and then die on a cross to be the sacrifice for us. And because of that, and after he rose from the grave, we can have eternal life in Christ. And so when we first come to know Christ, we understand God is a righteous judge. We realize that we have sinned and we need a savior. So the fear of the Lord starts there. Jesus says it like this in Luke 12, four and five. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. That sounds really harsh, but that's the heavy reality. Jesus Christ said it himself. Some people like to say that Jesus doesn't talk about hell. It's right there. He actually talks about it quite often. But see, life in Christ is actually very abundant, and there's eternal life in Christ. So the stakes are high here, and that's why when we have the fear of the Lord, we really do have that fear of God's judgment. But it doesn't just stop there. It's really only the beginning of what it means to fear the Lord. See, in this context, the Hebrew word that's actually used is yaira, and it really means to have awe or to have reverence. And so when a Christian has fear of the Lord, what they have is awe and reverence. And this word's not to be confused with the word Jesus used here, which is phobos, which is panic and terror. That's often where we go when we think of this word fear, is when we think of panic and terror. And that's the word Jesus uses there, but when it comes to the life of a Christian, somebody who's walking with Jesus, when we fear the Lord, all it means is we're turning our eyes to him and we're looking upon him with reverence and awe. And this word, it even goes farther. It even goes into respect, having deep admiration. Think about having honor, a great esteem for someone. Really wondering, having submission, and the best of all, loving someone. We have reverence for those that we love. 1 John 4.18 says this. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has nothing to do with punishment. Or, sorry, fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So it might start there, but it does not finish there. The fear of the Lord is just having reverence for God. And Jesus is the one who made the ultimate sacrifice for us, and that's why we have reverence for God. God created all things, but he also sacrificed for us. There's a, a lot that we can look at God's character and look upon it with awe and want to be like it. See, many of us have somebody that we've revered in our lives, and maybe you have multiple people who you've looked upon, and man, you're like, I want to be like that person. I was talking with Pastor Kent Ramsey this week about this, and the first thing that came to his mind was an old hockey poster that he had of, of a player in the NHL. He said, I really wanted to be like that 
hockey player. I looked on that poster with reverence. I think many of us do that too. For me, I remember looking upon my dad with reverence growing up. Here's a picture of us. I don't remember how old I was here. So my dad, he's not a small guy. He's like 6'1". I'm not going to say his weight, but he's a big guy. And I remember growing up, I was a small kid. And so my, God was, or my dad was real big. He was powerful. I wanted to be like him. My dad was somebody who was good at basketball. He had a lot of influence. He's a pastor. He's a great speaker. I trusted his, uh, I trusted his instructions. I knew that, that what he had for me was probably what's best for me. And I submitted to his rules as best as I could as a little kid. But the truth is, as cool as my dad is and as great as a guy as he is, he's still flawed. His character doesn't meet the standards of Scripture when it comes to talking about being perfect. The only one who does is Christ. So if we want to have a true reverence that's unshaken, it's only having reverence for God. And that brings us to our first point. Greater reverence for God leads us to greater joy. Greater reverence for God leads us to greater joy. So we can revere people, and we can look upon people we, that we want to be like, but the truth is we're always going to be disappointed at some point. And really, we have to have a firm foundation in Christ. And in the scripture here, it says blessed. And this word blessed really just means happy. If we want to take it a step further, imagine those moments where you feel really lucky or you just feel special that something happened to you. That's feeling blessed. It's like, man, that shouldn't have happened to me, but it did. That's exactly the feeling we have when we come to Christ. In Proverbs 1.7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is really where we have to start when it comes to actually following Christ. And if we're going to have any wisdom, if we're going to follow him. And wisdom is just knowledge applied. So when we apply knowledge to our lives in action, that's wisdom. And there's a lot of wisdom to unpack in the rest of this. So the question here is, how do we grow in our reverence for God? How do we grow in our fear of the Lord? It's really found in obedience. It says it right there. Blessed are those who find great delight in his commands. See, God doesn't force us to obey him. He doesn't force everyone to love him, but he invites us to. And see, a life engaged in the scriptures is how we can follow and obey Christ. We can't follow what he's commanded us unless we know and have read what he's commanded us to do. And really what that means is just to submit to God. And that's just admitting that God, you are God and I am not. And I'm going to live according to your design for my life and not my own. It's as simple as this. We fix our eyes on him and we just live with open hands. We bring every piece of our own life and say, God, can you examine this? It's exactly what Psalm 139 said from Pastor Party the last week. Search me, O God. See if what I'm doing is in your accord. And for all of us, that means to submit our appetites, submit our sexual desires, our time, our finances, our tongues, our hobbies. The list goes on and on. And what about this? It says to find great delight in his commands. This sounds really contrary to what the world says about Christianity. Maybe you've heard this one before. Christianity is just a bunch of rules. I've heard this one plenty of times. And you know, I think many Americans have bought the lie that Following God is just legalism. And if you ask any Christian, it's actually far from the truth because legalism says, do this and you will be saved. And even Jesus says, the works of the law cannot save us. 
Ephesians 2, it's one of the most popular texts in scripture, says the same thing. Christ came to abolish the law. All he asks is that we repent and believe in the gospel. His commands are still good for us, and following them is to live in wisdom. But all he asks us to do is repent and believe in him. See, the world offers its own rules, if you ask me. Many of you have probably heard tons of these. There's even the 16 simple rules to live by, by for a life of success and fulfillment. There's so many different avenues. If you just Google search how to be happy, there's so many things you can find. The world has tons of rules. What are some of the rules they have? Make as much money as you can. Collect as many valuables as you can. Have as much sex as you can with as many people as you can. Be a kind human. You've probably heard that one. Believe in yourself. Retire early. Affirm everyone's beliefs. In the article that's right here, it says, treat others how they want to be treated. I've not heard it said that way, but there's so many rules that the world puts out and says, you should follow this, and this is how you'll find happiness. WikiHow even has a four-part series on how to be happy. I read all of it. It's very long. It's a lot of work to be happy, apparently. I didn't realize it was going to take that much work. Proverbs 28.14 says it like this, though. Blessed is the one who who always trembles before God. But whoever hardens their hearts falls into trouble. So the scriptures tell us this. It is blessed to follow the Lord. It is blessed to revere God. So what does the righteous person look like? They fear the Lord and they joyfully follow God's commands in the scriptures. Let's keep diving into the text here. Verses two through five, it says, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in the darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Point two is this. Greater reverence for God leads us to greater reward. So here's the question. Do these things really happen? I'm sure that's your first thought, because that was my first thought when I'm looking at this. Are our children really going to be mighty in the land? Are there going to be riches in my household? Let's actually take a look in context at what this is saying. So the word mighty here translated actually means of good stature or good reputation. So when it says your children are going to be mighty in the land for you following the Lord, they're going to be of good reputation. If you're someone who reveres the Lord and follows God's command, a good reputation is going to follow that. See, the generation you create or the one that you pour into is going to be blessed by your reverence for God. And I would contend it like this. The best possible thing that you can do for your kids or the kids that you coach or your nieces and nephews or any of the next generation that you're involved with is to revere the Lord and for them to watch you revere the Lord. It also says wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. We got to pause here and just admit prosperity teachers have used this to twist the gospel at many moments in time. And what the prosperity gospel says is follow God and you will immediately have health, wealth, and prosperity. And we don't exactly see that here. See, godliness has its rewards in this life, but it also mentions just in the verse before, it could be in the future generations and it for sure will be in the eternal life we have in heaven. So God promises us good but doesn't specifically say when, and we have to note that. Bishop George Horn, he was a British Anglican church leader in the 1700s. He has a really great quote about this 
specific verse. He says this, It sometimes pleaseth God to bestow on his servants, as he did on Israel of old, the good things of this world. And a rich man is therefore happier than a poor man, because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so there's riches in our household because it is more blessed to give than to receive. The reason we have is so we can give. If you've been with us for any, any moment of time over the last few years, you know that our staff raise support when we come here. So what that means is we raise our full salary, we raise our benefits so that we can go do ministry on, on the campus and share the gospel and continue to plant churches. I wanted to share a little bit of my story with this. See, I got married in, the, in January of 2019. I had a total of $1,000 in my bank account, and I racked up $78,000 in school debt. Maybe some of you have been there. I was still finishing grad school at the time, and my wife was working part-time. And before we had gotten married, we agreed that we were going to tithe 10%, and we were going to give above that. We knew that regardless of the amount of money we had, we wanted to honor God with our finances. So I was finishing grad school about nine months later. I finished. I started raising support in September. Then the pandemic hit in March. Somehow, by the grace of God, I finished raising support, and we had been praying for my wife to find a full-time job. And despite everything that said we probably shouldn't have done that, God brought us there. And you know what? It's been three and a half years, and we have never once gone without food. We've had all of our bills paid for, and we've even paid down at least $60,000 in our debt, praise God, in three and a half years. And I got to be honest with you guys, we don't make a whole lot of money doing this. But God has blessed us immensely. And because of that, I honestly feel rich. I feel rich because I get to support my friends who are doing ministry elsewhere. And I get to continue to support our church and the mission that we're doing. Even though we've had moments of discouragement, we've never been in want because Christ has taken care of us. And it even says it right here in the next verse. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. And the darkness it's talking about here is adversity. See, adversity is going to come to the godly, and it's going to come to the ungodly. Nobody's immune to adversity. If you lived on this earth for any amount of time, you know that bad things happen. But here's the truth. When we follow God, he's going to take care of us. He gives us many of gifts, and sometimes they come from the most random of places. I couldn't tell you how many times a little bit of discouragement would creep in with me and my wife, and somebody would give us a special gift, or we'd have a random new ministry partner join our team. It's the grace of God working in his people. When there's a pandemic and everyone's saying that we should be stashing and hoarding as much as possible, followers of Christ said, no, we need to give because it's more blessed to give than to receive, and God's going to continue to take care of our household. It says it there, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. You can ask any Christian who owns a business what the key to their success have been, and they'll tell you. It's generosity, treating people right, and closing on Sundays, Chick-fil-A, amen? (laughs) But for real, generosity and treating people right, it's right in the scriptures. That's a huge key to to success for Christian businessmen and women. So what does a righteous person look like in this context? It's someone who's of good reputation. It's someone who handles adversity and shows graciousness and compassion to relieve the suffering of others. They're generous with their life, and they value treating people fairly and with justice. Let's dive back in. Verses 6 through 10. 
says this, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will forever be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted in honor. And horn just means dignity. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Point three is this. Greater reverence for God leads us to greater peace. And this is my favorite part of this psalm. When I first began following the Lord, it was back in the summer of 2015. I started reading the Proverbs, which are the wisdom literature, if you know anything about that. When, when God had saved me, he had revealed to me that I was going about life my own way. And I realized that my way was not the correct way. And so I had to figure out what does it actually look like to live a good life? So I started trying to practically live out these pieces of wisdom. And as I was following God and and living in wisdom, I continued to grow in my relationship with God and I continued to see God more and revere God more. And I kept, I kept digging. I knew there was more than just Proverbs. I'm Google searching and I stumble upon Psalm 112, what it looks like to be a righteous person. It's a double whammy. Not only is it how to be righteous, but it was something else I was looking for too. How do I stop being anxious? Maybe you've asked yourself that question too. Maybe you wrestle with anxiety. What was cool is, as I was praying through this text, I used to have this crippling anxiety. Maybe you've been there. I was someone who, in the mornings, I would have panic attacks. And so what I would have to do is, I would get outside, I would just run. I would run until I didn't feel anything anymore, run back home. If I still felt anxious, I would do 100 push-ups. If I still felt anxious, I would do an ab workout. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be in good shape. I just didn't want to feel anxious. I don't love working out that much. Don't get it twisted. But what was cool is, is through time, as I was praying over this specific psalm, God granted me some deliverance from my anxiety. I no longer have panic attacks. That doesn't mean I don't have anxious thoughts. I still get anxiety every once in a while. But I have much greater peace knowing that God's going to take care of me. See, this is the truth. Christians should be the most realistic, but also the most optimistic people on the planet. We have every reason to understand that bad things are going to happen. Life's not always going to go exactly how we want it to, but we have the hope of the gospel. We know that in the end, God always wins, and we can spend eternity with him. See, many of us may be dealing with anxiety. Maybe you're dealing with insecurity about your finances, being in the middle of a recession. I get that. Maybe you feel like you just aren't where you should be in life right now. Maybe you have some bitterness towards the world. Maybe you have some bitterness towards God. But what I want to tell you is there's freedom found in Christ. Just like it says there, they will have no fear of bad news. And I want to come back to this idea of living life with open hands. See, the contrast to that is when we live life with a clenched fist. When God provides for us and we say, that's mine. I'm not going to open it up to anything that God wants. But when we, when we follow Jesus, it calls us to lo- allow him to lord everything over our lives. So that means to live open-handedly. So opening up the clenches of those fists and saying, Jesus, do with this whatever you want. And I want to point out two things that are mentioned multiple times in this text. Generosity is mentioned twice. And it says that righteousness will endure forever. 
It's not by accident that those things are mentioned twice. See, the psalmist understands that money has spiritual implications on our lives. And it's something that we really do need to live open-handed with and submit to, to Christ. The Bible is clear that when we honor God with our money, God's going to use that to bless others and bless our own lives. See, the challenge for the follower of, of Christ is full submission to God and radical generosity. And that may look different for every person. I, I for sure can't give as much as other people do. But it's not the amount that Christ looks, looks at. It's our heart posture. So the challenge for you, maybe you've never tithed before. Maybe that's something to look into and, and press into the scriptures. It's not something we're commanded to do in scripture, but it's a great piece of wisdom. It's a good way to submit to God. Maybe you're called to give. We've been talking about the nest these last few weeks, and they're still raising, raising money these next few weeks. Give to the nest. That's a great place to start. Maybe for you, it's actually just stewardship. Maybe you have no idea where your money's going. Maybe setting out a budget is where God's calling you to start. Money has implications on our lives, and it's wise to take a look. See, God owns it all anyway. It's his. So there's no reason that we shouldn't just open up our hands and ask God, what do you want to do with this? Where am I supposed to place that? And here's the promise in the psalm. It says, our righteousness will endure forever. What that means is we're going to spend eternity with Christ and our reputation is going to be passed on to the generations that follow. Again, the more we revere Christ and the more reverence we have for God, the more we find life, and it's life abundant. I'm going to have the band come back up, but we're going to pray through this and just ask God, what would it look like for me to open up my clenched hands and live open-handedly with all that I have? See, God brings us joy. He brings us rewards. He brings us peace as we live in his design. And we simply just need to fix our eyes on him and ask him to speak into our lives. Let's pray.